Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. celebrate and honor our fallen that have that have given the ultimate sacrifice so that we can do what we're doing right here the simplicity of which with which we just dressed made our way to the house of God we came in without any reservation we came in with high expectation that the hand of God would be here and that we would be allowed and afforded the privilege and opportunity to do this. And so uh, this morning I was up very early and I was reading a couple of, I'm a part of a couple of forums and I was reading a post from a pastor friend of mine and I just want to share this with you. It's not mine. I can't take the credit for that. But I want to I read this to you. He said, how do you possibly say thank you to those whom you have never met yet you owe such an incredible debt. So how do you say thank you? How do you possibly let them know that the ultimate price of their life that they paid to defend our freedoms has not been taken for granted? How do you say thank you to someone that you feel that level of an indebtedness to? He said, you say thank you every time you place your hand over the heart and recite the Pledge of Allegiance and you mean it. You say thank you by proudly flying an American flag. You say thank you by exercising your right to vote. You say thank you by defending the principles of the Constitution and, and uh, of, of the, of the legislature, legislation that keeps our country civil. We say thank you by boldly protecting the democratic republic that we share. We say thank you by not allowing history to be written, rewritten that would make them anything less than heroes. You say thank you by not trampling on freedoms, the freedoms of heroes that gave their last breath to defend. We say thank you by more than words. We say thank you by living thank you every single day living thank you that we are proud to be a citizen of this great country. This Memorial Day, let me admonish all of us that amid all of our family gatherings and festivities and any plans that you may have this afternoon or tomorrow, I think it would do us good and, and well to pause and reflect upon why and what this day really means. This is not just about uh, this is not just about festivities and campfires and watermelons and things of that nature, but this is a day to reflect on the why, the why, and then go out and live. Thank you every day, not just this weekend, but live. Thank you every day that we are in a country, not without flaws as it has already been stated, but I am very thankful that we are here today. Amen. God has been so good to us. What a tremendous presence of the Lord. 
<laughs> Amen. It's that rest. It is that, it is that rest that the scripture talks about. And so we feel refreshed. I say it a lot of times. I mean it every time. I have no idea what you had to navigate through, wade through, just in order to be in service today. And, uh, but I'm thankful that you're here. No one can look across the aisle and really understand what it cost to be here in many respects, not just talking about dollars and cents, gas and time, but we're talking about the energy and effort that has been put into being here. But God said that if we would come together, that he would meet us, he would be in our midst, and I am very, very thankful for that. Today we're going to be serving a meal, and it's always a precarious place to be between a crowd and a meal, and so here I stand. But I've stood here many times. I feel well trained and prepared for the moment, but we're going to have a good time of fellowship. In the, in the book of 2 Samuel, you can remain seated, but I want to read five verses of scripture here from 2 Samuel chapter 23, verses 1 through 5. And I want to talk about these last words of David and from here glean a few things that I want to share with our graduates, but I want to share with everybody. So I don't want you to feel because your name is not Alina or your name is not Jeremy that what I'm going to be talking about doesn't apply. It applies to all of us, even the man with the microphone. Verse number one, now these be the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse said, the man who was raised up on high, the anointed of God of Jacob, the, the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel said, the spirit of the Lord spake by me and his word was in my tongue. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spake to me, he that ruleth over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. And he shall be as the light of the morning when the sun riseth, even a morning without clouds, as the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after rain. Although my house be not so with God, yet he hath made me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and sure. For this is all my salvation and my desire, although he make it not to grow. Amen. These are the last words of David. The last, let me be more clear about that, the last inspired words of David. It was the spirit of God breathing, blowing, moving in the life of the psalmist David, not words that were spoken on a deathbed. Those would later be recorded. But these are those inspired words of David doing what David had been called to do. God called him to be the psalmist of Israel and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote psalms who, who, that were songs to be sung or passages to, to meditate upon. And we still do that to this very day. Right here in our local church and many, many other churches across our nation and around the world sing portions of the psalms that David wrote. We certainly meditate on the book of Psalms. What a tremendous thrill it is to be able to read in and through the book of Psalms. David never ceased to marvel that God would call him. He never ceased to stand in awe that God would reach down. He understood that 
in context what is man that thou art mindful of him. And he was always taken by the fact that God would choose him. Not a loaded question, but can you say this morning, we stand with David and we have stood in all that who am I that God would choose me? Who am I that God would choose me to fill with his spirit and, and to call us to the endeavors of the kingdom? David would, would be able to look himself in the mirror and with all say, who am I that God would call me to become the king of Israel? Who am I that God would call to lead his very own elect? Who am I that God would call to fight his battles? And certainly who am I that God would include to be a part of those penmen that would write the word of the Lord. It was through David's descendants that God would even bring Jesus Christ into the world. And so from a human point of view, I just want to tell you plain today that David was a nobody. David was a nobody. He was the most common of common individuals. I, I, uh, have, I, I understand, I believe, I believe in truth that I understand David's feelings to be that common person, very, very common. He was a nobody. He was merely a shepherd. He was the youngest of eight sons, just an ordinary Jewish family. There was really nothing that would pull him to the light outside of the spirit of God. But nevertheless, in what David perhaps assumed at times to be the middle of nowhere, the spirit of the, of the Lord rested on him and God chose him and selected him and made him to be Israel's greatest king. David didn't promote himself, of course, to achieve this greatness. He just simply stood back and allowed God to work through him. It was the Lord that chose him. It was the Lord that elevated him. The Lord spent many years training David for the cause. He first trained him in a pasture. He trained him with literal sheep. And then he put him in the army of Saul. And he would train him with Saul's army. And finally, God would train him with his own men. Can I tell you this, that great leaders, if you ever stumble upon somebody you consider to be a great leader, I just wanna pull up the veil and let you in on a secret. Great leaders are trained in private before they ever work in public. Amen, great leaders are trained in private before God ever puts them on a platform. We read about David and the lion and the bear. But we read all about that in the past tense. We read all about that after the fact. We have no record of when that happened. God did not place him on a platform with a lion. And God did not shine the bright light of heaven on him with a bear. All of this took place in the shadows. But when he was pushed to the stage in the forefront, and when asked, what makes you think you can take on a man such as Goliath? He said, I, I'm just gonna tell you in essence what he said, when I was all alone, Whenever no one knew my name, God was with me and God was training me and God was putting something in me. And I just wanna tell everybody in this house today, young and old alike, that don't ever discount the moments you're standing in the shadows and don't ever discount the seasons that you think nobody's looking and that God don't care because I will tell you that the hand of the potter, oh my Lord, I feel his presence in this place. 
I will tell you that the hand of the potter is strong on us and he is working when the world is oblivious. He is at work when no one is thinking. And I want to tell our graduates today and I want to tell this congregation this morning that you may think God doesn't even know your middle name, but he knows every thought. He knows every drop of sweat. He knows where your passions are and he knows what your future is. Hallelujah. And so I say lean in and enjoy the journey because God has you on a path. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Oh, hallelujah. Let us never resent those times when we stand alone. One writer said, talents are best nurtured in solitude and character is best formed in the stormy billows of the world. That is where God does his best work. David had both. He had been faithful in private as a servant, so God knew I can trust him to elevate him publicly to be a ruler because he knows how to keep his head on straight. He knows how to think under fire. He knows how to stand when it would be easier to sit. I feel confident that there are countless lessons we could learn from the life of David, of course, and I would not try to name them one by one. But there are a few things that stand out to me, and so I want to address today everyone in this building, but certainly Alina and Jeremy. I want you to reach beyond where you think you can go in your own power and your own strength. Reach beyond. Amen. Dare to dream and dare to be different and dare to make a difference. Dare to make a difference. We often talk about obstacles that our youth face in the world in which we live, and these obstacles are real. They are not imagined. But I think we first must keep this in context, that we also have to understand that this is not the first generation to face hardships. This is not the first generation to face trials and tribulation because every generation before us had to face circumstances that were unique to their day. Amen. And so we have young people today and that are privileged with such tremendous technology. Just push a button. You can play music right into your earbuds. We didn't have earbuds. You've never had to face some of the, we've never had to face some of the challenges that you face, but you've never had to face some of the challenges that we face. There's not, a young people, there's not a young person in this room today that's ever had a cassette tape break on you that you had to splice back together with scotch tape. Not a young person sitting in this building that didn't pull out your favorite eight-track tape to only realize that 90% of it is still in the dash of your truck or car. You have no idea what it would be to realize that your eight-track tape is now now dragging and, and you're going to fold up some cardboard and stick it under it and then shift it to one side or the other? Hey, we've climbed some high mountains, folks. <laughs> yes, we have. I just feel a need of moment of silence here. I just think about all this sadness. So every generation has to, had to face circumstances unique to their generation. And we're laughing at a few things here today, but the truth of the matter is, it is true. We had to face, you know, we are 
there are not those in this house this morning that are young enough to have to face the, some of the perils that are going on in the 21st century and the, some of the madness and we think of all the immorality, but can I tell you that you don't have to roll the tape very far back to see that same kind of thing happening multiple times because history repeats itself. There are those in this building that lived through the turbulent 60s, late 60s and early 70s. The Vietnam War and the crisis and the hippie movement and the list goes on and on. We had to face our own challenges. And it was far more than just long sideburns and long hair and bell-bottom jeans, but there was, a, there was an uprising against the government such as we see today. Every generation has to face something unique to them, to them. And so that's why the Apostle Paul admonished all of us to run the race that is set before us. My race is not your race and your race is not mine. That doesn't mean mine was worse or vice versa. We are all challenged at, at certain levels. Therefore, we gotta embrace the hour in which we live and we must make up in our minds. We gotta decide that I can be a difference maker. I wanna draw a few things from the life of David and trust to encourage every one of you here today. I really, when I look in the life of David as well as many other Bible characters, but David is our character of choice today. So I will tell you that I'm encouraged when I look into the, to the life of a young man like this because David was indeed a young man making a difference. A young man making a difference. I will tell you that while many would like to focus upon all the calamity and the chaos that's going on among America's youth and the youth all around our globe, I'm gonna tell you that I have the privilege to sit in a position to see the other side of young people, to see them, those, those that are dedicated to the call of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They have a fire in their heart. They have an assurance in their mind about the word of God. Their heels are dug in and they are holding on to not only just a biblical truth, they're holding on to apostolic biblical truth. Amen. They believe and they see the encroachment of the world pressing in upon the church and they understand the detriment that is and it will be to the church. And so they are digging their heels in and they have their hands and raised to say, count me in. I will be among those that will raise up and build the hedge. Amen. The young can be used of God. David was very courageous. Even as a young man, he stood against Goliath, who was his known enemy of the day. And although Goliath was a seasoned warrior with a great reputation that went before him, David would not stand and allow this giant of a man to mock the deity of the armies of God. Amen. In 1 Samuel 17, 26, David said, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He was just a teenager. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? I'm gonna tell you it would have been real easy and they did. Many of them wrote him off. Who do you think you are? His older brothers talked him down, tried to shame him and embarrass him. You've just come to get the latest, uh, 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 the latest news. you just come to be nosy. you just come to, to try to, to figure out what's going on. But I wanna tell you, David, something in his heart was burning and he said, I don't understand everything there is 
is to know, but I tell you that there's something wrong with this picture, that God's elect are hiding behind rocks and trees and stumps, and the and this uncircumcised Philistine is standing saying, send me a man that we might fight together. I'm gonna tell you, that was a shameful thing to look at men and say, I need a man to fight, but men were hiding. Men were, men were clawing for shadows. Men was digging holes, and David, as a young man, said, what is it that we gotta do? Somebody needs to step in. And David uttered these words, is there not a cause? And I wanna reach to a young generation today and tell you, yes, 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 there is a cause. There has always been a cause, and there will always be a cause. There is a cause. I'm thankful for anointed young men. I'm thankful for anointed young women who said, I don't have to go the way of the world. I don't have to taste of this wine. I don't have to drink out of that cup, but I can keep myself pure and unspotted and say, Lord, take these hands and use them for your glory. to his great faith David was also humble enough to be used by God to save a nation in in this life we see this 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 paradox this unusual dichotomy that, that must exist in the life of every leader and here it is you must be courageous you must be bold and you must be daring while at the same time remaining totally submitted and humble before God. And I can tell you that's a tight wire to walk. To say, God, give me courage, give me boldness, and yet help me to walk with humility and total submission. Help me to know when to speak up. And this is not a word we often use, but help me to know when to shut up. Help me to find the balance here, God. David took things that were necessary into this battle of his life. He took a sling, five smooth stones, and confidence of a man on a mission. Those were the things that were most important to David. Before Goliath got within range that he could strike David, David launched a stone that I believe God directed to hit the most vulnerable point giving David the opportunity to now take him out with his own sword. That was all that was needed to set the enemy to flight. Just one, just one. Because you see, when you kill the right giant, the rest will leave. When you kill the right giant, the rest will run. And so God said, I will just, God, if you'll just let it leave the sling, I'll take it from there. If you'll just have the courage to put it in the sling, if you'll just have the courage to wind it up, if you'll just have the courage to let it go, God said, I will take it from there. I'm gonna tell you today, we can look in our hands and say, I don't have what it takes. Jeremy, you can think I don't have what it takes. Alina, you can say I don't think I have what it takes. Church, we can look in our hands and say I don't think what we have what it takes, but if we'll just take what we have, hallelujah, and if we'll just wind it up, if we'll just do what we've done many, many, many times, God said I, ha ha, I, 
I can take it from there. I can take it from there. I believe with all of my heart when that rock left that sling, it was just a rock. It was just a stone and a sling, but it was a 44 magnum on the way. Amen. God said, I'll let it hit its mark because when the right enemy dies, everybody else is going to run and Israel is going to win. Can I tell you today? The Holy Ghost. Can I tell you today, we just need to keep doing what we know to do. I'm gonna come on Sunday and I'm gonna sing and worship. I'm gonna come on Wednesday and I'm gonna sing and worship. I'm gonna put the stone in a sling. I'm gonna do what I know to do and God will take it from there. Somebody might need to send a text to the kitchen staff tell them we're running late. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. We're running late. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> we should never forget that this great victory occurred when David was still just a young man. A young man. Therefore, we place much emphasis on our youth. We see the importance of children and student ministries because we see them for what they are. They are the church of today. I understand what people mean when they say the church of tomorrow. I get it, but they are the church of right now because God is, I believe, raising up an army of young people that can take this message to their world. I really want to underline the fact that young people can be mightily used of God. You don't have to wreck your life in sin. You don't. You don't have to go down some dark trail and journey and try to crawl your way back home. You don't have to do that. You don't have to do that for many reasons. And I say this with a lot of humility, but I say it with boldness this morning. You don't have to do that because you've got praying parents. You don't have to do that because you've got a praying church. You don't have to do that because you've got a praying church family, a supportive church family. You don't have to taste everything there is out there in the world. You can raise your hand and say, I'm gonna just choose today to serve God. I'm gonna say, Lord, take these hands and use me. Take these lips and use them. Take this heart and let it ever have a passion for you and your work. Hallelujah. You can, you can live in this world without sin scars. Hallelujah. You can live a life above reproach and you can do something and, and have something that has eternal value. Amen. Something else we need to take away from the life of David is that is this, is that no one but no one can stop the hand of God. You say, well, you just knew my family situation. If you just knew this, if you just knew that. Let me tell you. Men and circumstances may frustrate the will of God and you may have a more rocky journey and path to get where God is trying to lead you 
but nothing can but you. Nothing but you can stop the will of God. My Lord, I feel in the Holy Ghost. I don't like to embarrass my wife, and she don't really like for me to embarrass her either, believe it or not. But I want you to come with me. Oh, dear Jesus, she said, and that wasn't a prayer. Amen. She was. I've heard her say, oh, dear Jesus, when she was praying. Wasn't the same thing. From brokenness, from scars, from hurt. <laughs> Amen. When, when no one would take her to church, she figured out how she could get a hold of a family in the church and then another family in the church. And they dedicated themselves for years, will you hear me, for years to come by and pick her up and take her to the house of God. They didn't have the money to go to food. They didn't have the money to go to youth camp. They didn't have the money to go to conferences, but there were families in the church that said, I'll pay this young girl's way. I'll make sure she's there. But you see, you see, she had to have the want to. She had to have the desire. But because she had the want to, there was nothing in her way. Amen. There was nothing rather that could stand in their way. There were many obstacles, but you couldn't stop the will of God. Yes, divorce and all manner of things. And I'm not trying to air laundry. All manner of family things. It muddied the water and it murkied the water. But but God said, but I got a will for her life. I'm gonna call her to lead. I'm gonna call her to example. I've got her right now. She is hidden in Fort Lauderdale. Right now she's hidden in hurt. Right now she's hidden in pain. Right now she's hidden in scars. But she's something in her heart said, I wanna be there when they turn on the church lights. Something said, I wanna be there when it's camp meeting time. Something said, I wanna be there. I wanna be there. I wanna be there. Things can frustrate the will of God, but it can't stop the will of God. Yes, she has scars that she didn't need. She had scars she would rather not have to deal with, but God said, if you'll lend me yourself, I will raise you. I will do something in your life. Oh, hallelujah. Your scars do not have to to define you. Amen. God can use you despite no one can stop the will of God oh I gotta hurry but I feel a fire in my heart today amen King Saul tried to stop the hand of God from establishing the kingdom of David my wife's been reading through this she's been talking to me about she's been preaching to me at home by the way she talks about me preaching to her at home She'd come back in the room and say, my, I was reading today. And she's been reading again this story about Saul and all the things that he did against David. And Saul tried to kill David many times. One time David was just playing, trying to soothe the chaos in the heart of Saul. Saul throws a javelin at him and intended to kill him. David ran for his life. Another time Saul told his son Jonathan in his service he sent them directed them to go kill David but instead Jonathan intervened oh thank God for intercessors and he became a peacemaker between Saul and David with everything supposedly made right between Saul and David David returns now to his duties and was playing the harp again and now it's, it's Saul and the javelin take two he flings the javelin tries to take his life again Now David's running for his life. This time Saul dispatched messengers to watch him and find him and kill him. 
However, this time it was Saul's daughter and David's wife, Michael, that came to his aid. She deceived her father and the messenger so David could escape one more time just by the hair of his chin. Then on multiple occasions, David, now the tables turn. And David finds Saul in vulnerable positions and he could have killed him more than once. He said, no. One time his flesh got in the way and he cut the skirt of Saul. You just see, sometimes you just want to defend yourself. And so he hollered out over the way, hey, hey, servant of Saul, what is this? I could have taken him, but God smote his heart for even touching the skirt of Saul. Amen. He was there when his servant said, come on, we found him asleep. I can thrust a sword, a spear through his head. I'll pin him to the ground. He'll not even know it. No, that's not how we, that's not how we do things, sir. God fights our battles. Amen. Here is, wisely, he was just waiting on God. God will take vengeance. So here's something that we all must understand, that it, it all comes down to a matter of trust. It was trust that God would protect him. It was trust that God would look after him. It was trust that God would take vengeance on the man that was trying to destroy him. And in the end, that's exactly what happened. And David lived. Saul was destroyed. And this resulted as to David ascending to the throne. So remember this. No one can stop God. No one. It would take... It would be impossible and most likely unfair to speak about David and not acknowledge his failures. And this is not to highlight sin, nor is it an attempt in any way to put in a stamp of approval on failure. So I don't want anybody to misunderstand this. But I'll just tell you that even the most godly people fail because we have a treasure in an earthen vessel. King David was a man whose life was really filled with paradoxes. If you think about it for just a moment, David was a man who was not afraid of hard work. Not at all. Lion and a bear. But he also wasn't, he was comfortable enough in his own skin to, to play harp and write songs. David was a man who was just as gifted at holding an instrument of music as he was holding an instrument of warfare. David was a man of war, but yet the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. I mean, you know, generally you don't think you can separate those two. While David was a spiritual man, it also behooves us to understand that David was no pushover. He was a warrior without equal. The people said of him, Saul has killed his thousands, but David, oh, that's a different story now. David is 10,000. David was a strong man, a leader of leaders, a leader of men, a man that anyone could feel safe walking beside. You were okay if you were with David. I mean, nobody's going to mess with you if you're walking with David. David was this spiritual man who penned many, many beautiful psalms that were sung in his day, and they are even read in ours. Yet he had a season of severe moral and ethical lapse. I realize many of you know the story well, but please bear with me. It was a time of year when kings lead their troops into war, not send them into war. But David was nowhere to be found. 
Instead of assuming his role of leadership, he lingered around the palace. And while he was there, the enemy took advantage of that moment. He planted him on his housetop and he planted Bathsheba in a pool of water bathing herself. And instead of walking away, he lingered. And it was in that moment of lingering that a seed started bursting open and something planted in his heart. He sent for her to be brought to his palace and from there his life went on an incredible free fall. It was, it was, who, it was this man on a boy on a, on a hill saying, saying, I'll take this giant now. His life spiraling out of control. One decision to another bad decision to another bad decision. While this became a significant season in his life, thank God it didn't become a defining season of his life. And so I just want to say to our youth and to everyone here today, if you fall down, please get up. It's not in the falling down, and I'm not minimizing that, but it's not in the falling down, but it's getting up. And it would be way too embarrassing to do this, but I'm gonna tell you today that there's many that I'm preaching to this morning and others that are watching online that have gotten up. They have fallen down. They would not wanna talk about their falling down, but they are rejoicing in their getting up. And they brushed off and they had to let heal and those wounds had to scar over and they had to live past those moments but God is using them in mighty, mighty ways. God gave him enough time in the end to write another chapter of his life and I can tell you today that when you fall, get up. Amen. God had in his mercy has done the same thing for all of us and I certainly don't want to salt soap the issue of all of David's improprieties because they were many and they were horrid. It was adultery, it was lies, it was murder, it was the most uh, insane journey that you can even read about. When we read the story of, of David's life, we, we must not and we cannot omit the consequences of that one single decision. Because there was a child born out of wedlock and that child died, but a prophecy said, you're gonna lose four. You're gonna pay four times, and he did. You just keep reading this one decision, David, will cost you a trip to four funeral homes before it's all said and done. There's consequences to what we do. So I, I want to tell you, when we fall down, get up. But we got to understand that when the, when the season of consequences and reaping comes flowing in our life, and it flows in all of our lives, we have got to be man enough and woman enough at that time to say, you know what, I bought this. I got to wear it. It's not going to last forever. And so I'm going to ask our musicians to come if they will. The last thing that I want to leave us with today is this. That even though sins carry, con sins carry consequences, God loves us all who will repent. He loves us all enough to restore and to give back. Amen. To give back the years, the canker worm, the locust. To give, to give back, to invest back. It wasn't a surprise to David that he had sinned against God. Not at all. David had hidden the word of God in his heart. He knew. And so we should never think that when Nathan the prophet came and sat David down and began this 
parable of a man with a sheep. We should not think that in that one moment when, when Nathan said, thou art the man, that some scales fell off David's eyes. He goes, oh, well, I'm a sinner. I've done something wrong. David knew right and wrong. Nothing was surprising David at this moment. But something did grip him, and that was the convicting power of God. But when Nathan got through talking to him, that weight of that failure began to sink in. And he began to realize, I can't get away from this. It's been said that, to his credit, the only thing he could do after killing Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, was to bury him. The moral thing to do after impregnating Bathsheba was to marry her. But God would let Solomon be born in the midst of all of this. Solomon represents wisdom. And so here's what I say to our youth and our church today. That if we handle our failures right, what can come from that is wisdom. I know now. I know now. Not because mom and daddy said. Not because grandma and grandpa said. Not because the Sunday school teacher said. Not because the youth student ministry said. No, no, no. I know now. I know. Instead, he confessed to God in Psalms 51. He said, for I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Now, again, I'm not trying to paint anybody's world gray, but I'm going to tell you every time that Bathsheba come walking through the door, my sin is ever before me. Every time Solomon crawled across the carpet, my sin is ever before me. David requested forgiveness. Psalms 51, I'll ask you to stand. Psalms 51 and 1. This is a broken man. This is a flattened man. He said, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy love and kindness. According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies blot out my transgressions I'm asking you according to your mercy I'm not asking you according to my integrity or according to my worth but God I fall on your mercy today wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin I read it a moment ago for I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me oh God clean me me. I'm not sure that this was a true story, but years ago, um, a little story circulated around where in a neighborhood they were repaving the streets. And one of the young boys in the neighborhood got into the tar that the paving company was using. And that tar, he was just covered in tar from head to toe. And he come home his mother took one look at him and said, Son, it'd be easier to have another one than it would be to clean you up. <laughs> well, I don't think she dug a hole. I don't think she knocked him in the head with a hammer. That may have been how she felt. And there was probably a little bit of truth in that. But I believe she just reached down 
Say, come on. This is going to hurt you. It's going to be painful. But we're going to get through this. And you, you're not always going to smell that turpentine, but you will for a while. Yeah, it's going to burn. But we're going to get through this. David, it's not always going to be this way. And so to our graduates today and everyone in this building, anyone watching online, I say this, don't forget David because we watch him high and we watch him low. But we watch him climb his way out of those valleys and say, God, use me, use me. I'm thankful today. I know I mentioned it some services ago. I'm thankful that the church is not a museum for the relics of everybody who has it all together. But I'm thankful that the church is an emergency room. It's a hospital room for those who need us. Amen. These are lessons in the life of David. I love you, Jesus. I thank you for your goodness. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.